Welcome to another edition of Full Disclosure here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. David Grising is the president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Joins us each week to talk about the inner workings of government and how it's impacting you. And uh, we are connecting by phone today because ain't technology grand. David Grising, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim Leach. Great to be with you, even if by the old-fashioned uh, phone. <laughs> well, we're, we're kicking it old school here in 2022. Happy New Year to you and to everybody there at the BGA. It is also the uh, first uh, scheduled uh, day of the legislative session. It is uh, a shortened week, and it looks like it could be a somewhat truncated month for Illinois lawmakers amid the uh, new surge in COVID cases. So the legislature comes back to Springfield briefly today just to try to get their uh, respective houses in order, and that could mean uh, even more remote legislating, at least for the, the first few weeks of this legislative session. David, what are you anticipating uh, this uh, this spring for the General Assembly? Well, uh, we're anticipating a very stripped-down legislative agenda. Even uh, COVID notwithstanding, it appears that the legislative leaders uh, have an interest in passing a budget. Um, they're actually very budget-focused these days, in part because Thanks to federal uh, COVID-related bailouts, uh, Illinois' uh, credit rating and financial standing is improving, and the Democrats are eager to campaign on that. Uh, Don Harmon, the state senate president, um, uh, told the Journal Register that that he that there needs to be some follow-up, some legislative follow-up to some of the bills passed in the 2021 session, uh, that probably has to do with some cleanup on the criminal justice uh, package that was passed and perhaps others. Um, there's not a lot of talk about ethics reform, although there's a lot left to be done on ethics reform. That probably won't happen. And the Republicans, uh, who are really on the sidelines of the legislative process because of their uh, super minority status, they plan to try to make noise about ethics. Uh, they've tried to they also will uh, be uh, raising questions about the state's large budget, the size of the budget, 42 billion dollars in the 2022 budget that, that we're currently using. Uh, so they'll, they'll do their usual trying to raise questions about the Democrats control of uh, government in Illinois. One uh, side note related to uh, fiscal issues, Comptroller Susana Mendoza announcing that the state is paying off a, a very sizable loan taken out from the federal government related to COVID-19. This was a $2 billion loan, and they're uh, making the final payment on that early, which she says will save the state about $82 million in interest. And we know that Governor J.B. Pritzker is already trying to uh, to uh, pivot his campaign for re-election to these fiscal issues, uh, to what he says is his much better fiscal management of the state. He's got a, a campaign ad running in heavy rotation right now on that. So no question that is going to be a big issue, but we know that Republicans are going to try to uh, steer it back to other issues. You noted that policing bill, and uh, there's a news conference, in fact, later today with Republican lawmakers who will be uh, criticizing what they say are the, uh, the bad effects of that on policing and on public safety amid ongoing crime concerns in Chicago and around the state. So 
we'll have, uh, I'm sure, much more to talk about in that arena in the weeks to come. Uh, David, in the meantime, as we noted, uh, it's going to be a shortened week and probably a shortened month for the legislature because of COVID. COVID is also having uh, very serious ramifications all over the state, and particularly this morning for hundreds of thousands of families in Chicago uh, as the Chicago Teachers Union decided they weren't going back into classrooms today because they're just concerned about health and safety in the midst of this new COVID surge. And so Chicago Public Schools actually called off classes for today. Uh, This all happened late last night, and it's pretty remarkable. We have a similar debate going on here, but our school district has essentially said we don't have the power to just unilaterally close down schools because of this. We can only do it if our health department says so. But the Chicago Teachers Union effectively shut down the schools last night with a single vote of its membership, and it's created a lot of upheaval this morning. Well, it certainly has, and, and I think there's been some fair criticism from the city's health commissioner with regard to the fact that this has happened literally in the dead of night. Uh, it would have been very helpful to families to know in advance, and there's no reason the CTU could not have voted sooner uh, to take this action. Uh, they didn't need to wait till the dead of night the night before uh, you know, children were, were ready to go back to school. Um, the, the bigger issue, of course, is... Uh, is COVID and safety, and there's a very healthy debate about whether it's safest for children to be in the schools, where it, the track record does show that their uh, schools have done a pretty good job of managing for COVID safety. That said, this Omicron virus is so contagious uh, that it's a different uh, situation than it was with prior uh, variants of the uh, virus. Uh, it's also a real show of force by the Chicago Teachers Union, which is in this ongoing arm wrestle with the mayor of the city of Chicago and the Chicago Public Schools. And there's, if there was any doubt about the power of the CTU, uh, that is, again, uh, being taken away because uh, CTU has shown they have the ability. If the teachers don't show up, uh, there's, there's no school. And that's a pretty powerful uh, muscle for them to be able to flex. It's also an indication of uh, some of the shifting approaches to the pandemic, uh, where uh, the city of Chicago, on the one hand, is saying, hey, get back in the classrooms, everything's fine. They've also imposed tighter restrictions on food and beverage establishments and requiring people to show proof of vaccination for entry into those arenas. Uh, Whereas Governor J.B. Pritzker, uh, who had taken a pretty hard line on pandemic mitigations early on, closing down many of these establishments in the first weeks of the pandemic, uh, now saying essentially the state isn't uh, planning to to do anything like Chicago is doing right now with requiring vaccination proof uh, and simply uh, taking a more hands-off approach here, as of course the governor is now in the uh, election year for his re-election bid. So it all gets pretty uh, pretty confusing and pretty dizzying, uh, David, uh, to see how these uh, approaches are, are changing. And, and of course the guidance is changing as well, but in the meantime the cases are surging and hospitals are filling up up around Illinois. Yeah, the governor really hasn't done a very good job of explaining why he sees things so differently now than he did during the first round of the virus. I mean, we know that Omicron is not as deadly as the Delta variant, for example. But on the other hand, hospitalization is at a record high in the state. And the capacity of the system to deal with uh, these uh, problems uh, is, is being tested. And the governor now is acting as if he really doesn't have the power uh, to, to do this on a statewide basis, whereas, as you pointed out, Jim, he did he, he had no, uh, no reluctance at all uh, earlier on in the, in the COVID pandemic. 
whether or not it's an election year thing that he doesn't want to alienate people across the state or some other factor, we don't know. It sure would be nice to hear from the governor what has changed in his mind. For the in the meantime, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot of Chicago has taken action. She has, as you're saying, requiring uh, proof of identity, proof of vaccination, et cetera, um, which seems to be a prudent step if you're going to allow these arenas and restaurants and health clubs to function at all uh, to make certain that people entering at least have been vaccinated. Because as we learn uh, across the country, uh, vaccination is a key uh, to keeping people healthy even if they do catch the virus, the, the hospitalization rate is far lower among people who are vaccinated than those who are not. We've got more full disclosure on the way, including more about the Chicago mayor and the governor and their interactions via text message. Some revealing words that have come to light in the last few days. We'll talk about that next and much more to cover on today's edition of Full Disclosure with the Better Government Association. More with David Grising, president and CEO, on the way here in just a moment. Uh, and David, we are learning more about Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's um, uh, maybe sometimes injudicious texts that she sends to uh, various aldermen and other officials, including Governor J.B. Pritzker. Uh, and I think one thing we've learned from this is the governor seems to have a, a little bit more sense of propriety and caution when it comes to texting as opposed to the mayor of Chicago. Absolutely. Uh, the back and forth between Pritzker and Lightfoot in these texts uh, is fascinating. Uh, it occurs during the course of uh, 2020, the, tri the Chicago Tribune, uh, filed from Freedom of Information Act request for the mayor's text and, and have previously revealed her text with some other uh, local leaders. But the back and forth with Governor Prisker is, is interesting in that um, there seems to be a lot of distrust between the two of them. In one exchange, Mayor Lightfoot uh, notes some bad press that she has gotten and, uh, and without any apparent evidence, uh, lets the governor know that she thinks that his staff is responsible for that. He, two days in a row, uh, in response to her text, says, hey, let's get on the phone and talk. Let's not try to solve this via text. And they apparently never did get on the phone and talk. Um, there's also uh, some back and forth with regard to COVID restrictions and other issues. And I think what emerges here is is both that lack of trust and really the lack of standing that, that uh, Lightfoot seems to have. Uh, with the governor. There's no indication in the text that the Tribune published uh, that, that Governor uh, Pritzker and Mayor Lightfoot uh, are able to coordinate uh, their efforts. And, and certainly we saw that last year where uh, Mayor Lightfoot really could get very little of her legislative agenda done. Uh, there was also texting with, with State Senate President Don Harmon, uh, where also uh, where uh, Mayor Lightfoot is blaming Don Harmon for uh, pushing through a change to the firefighter pension fund that is going to cost the city a significant amount of money. And uh, Mayor Lightfoot is criticizing him for uh, not working with her in order to avoid having that happen. So it's a really interesting insight into the mayor standing with a couple of key state political leaders. And uh, I can't help but smile every time I picture Governor J.B. Pritzker uh, having to uh, to tap into his phone. We really can't do this by text. It's, uh, the, the same text every one of us is one time or another sent to a spouse or significant other. This is too much to do by text. Let's just have a conversation about this. But it's hilarious to think of the governor having to do this with the uh, mayor of Chicago. Uh, we are here uh, one day before the anniversary of the attack on the U.S. Capitol, a dramatic event 
that really uh, set a, a, the stage for what was to follow in 2021. Uh, and it is interesting to note, uh, as that has happened, that uh, we've had some pretty big developments in Illinois politics, particularly in the 15th Congressional District, where uh, former President Donald Trump has given his endorsement to um, uh, maybe the the most uh, far right of the Illinois congressional delegation, Congresswoman Mary Miller, who uh, took that endorsement and announced that she would uh, create a primary challenge against veteran Republican Congressman Rodney Davis, uh, setting the stage to see who's really got the clout in the Illinois GOP. Is it Donald Trump or is it uh, a more mainstream, traditional Republican politician like Rodney Davis? This one's going to be fascinating to watch, David. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, just to put it in perspective, Rod Davis uh, helped chair the president's uh, campaign in Illinois, uh, the re-election campaign. He has a very strong conservative record. And to run to the right of Rod Davis just really shows uh, just how ultra-conservative or one should say pro-Trump uh, Mary Miller is, because those things are not necessarily identical. Uh, but but she uh, is obviously banking on uh, the former president's endorsement. Uh, and uh, the, the, the thing is, it'll be an interesting test of where the party ultimately ends up standing. Uh, Davis already has the backing of the county chair in each of the many uh, counties in this very badly gerrymandered district. This, the GOP establishment is behind him even before this Trump endorsement, whether the Trump endorsement changes any of that is something that bears watching because it will say something further about the extent to which the Illinois GOP is aligning behind Donald Trump the way uh, many uh, Republican uh, state parties have done so. Uh, especially in the southern part of the United States. It could be the most mudslinging campaign of 2022. Rodney Davis already out over the weekend with a statement calling Mary Miller a carpetbagger and suggesting that he is really the true heir to the Trump mantle, uh, even though she picked up Donald Trump's personal endorsement. So, uh, again, it's going to be a fascinating one to watch. We mentioned this briefly last week. want to just uh, mention again with the anniversary of the insurrection tomorrow, it's a good time to go to the Better Government Association website and check out the PolitiFact Lie of the Year. And David, just real briefly walk us uh, through that, uh, PolitiFact, uh, which uh, uh, goes through uh, countless statements every year, but has determined that the lies surrounding January 6th and surrounding the 2020 election uh, far and away uh, were the most uh, grievous uh, of those falsehoods uttered by public officials last year. Right. We do put a fact about state politics, but we're part of the network that, that does the whole put a fact uh, a national uh, uh, truth-telling initiative. And the lie of the year is the big lie with regard to the election. And, and it's an interesting choice uh, in that typically uh, a single statement or something is selected. This year, the, it, there are so many major and important um, falsehoods about the 2020 election that are being uh, you know, supported by uh, the former president as well as many of his acolytes around the country <coughs> that PolitiFact singled that out as the lie of the year. And certainly they've had a huge impact. And I think this was a good, good choice by our colleagues at PolitiFact. Go uh, read it at bettergov.org. 